0: Welcome to the podcast of Central Church. This is our latest weekly message. Well, tonight we're moving on with our next little section of the Sermon on the Mount, which we've been working our way through this year. And I'm just looking at the passage of Scripture, which is all about giving. Everybody loves a good sermon on giving, especially in the church. Um, So that's what we're going to be talking about tonight and digging into it a little bit. So... Let's have a look at the text to start off with. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, So that they may be honoured by men, truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Good words on giving, aren't they? Give in secret and your father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This morning I, um, I went out into my, into my garden because one of the quotes I came across as I've been doing research for this and looking into this passage and digging into it a bit is a quote from John Calvin where he said one of the good things Calvin said. I mean, he said many things, but (laughs) Um, John Calvin and I aren't great friends, but he does occasionally say good things. (laughs) He said, the theatre of God is in the hidden corners. And I actually really like that. The theatre of God is in the hidden corners. And I think it really ties in with this idea of the secretness and the hiddenness of the kingdom of God, which Jesus talked a lot about. In fact, many of his metaphors for the kingdom weren't like champion, you know, big, large, powerful kind of things. They were small, insignificant, tiny, hidden things. A tiny mustard seed, a yeast within bread, a shrubby, you know, plant that isn't that attractive. Like all his metaphors for the kingdom were simple, small, insignificant. And in this passage when Jesus is talking about giving, he's encouraging us to give secretly and in hidden ways. And so I've been thinking about this idea of the theatre of God is in the hidden corners. And I also believe, and I know you believe too, that God in his essence and his nature, God in who he is, is endless generosity and constant eternal self-giving. That's what our God is. Our God is endlessly generous and eternally self-pouring himself out into this world. You know, the glory of God covers the earth. This is our God. He is so generous. And so I went out into my garden today and I said to God, okay, show me your generosity. Let me see the theatre of God in the hidden corners, I want to see like abundant life and I mean I didn't have to try hard, you'll notice I didn't have to try hard um, but I did and I took some photos so I'm going to show you so I went looking around my garden and here are some of my succulents and actually they're, they're daffodils up the top left so they you know, what's the odd one out but I mean, it was just a, it was reflecting on the amazing nature that God didn't make all leaves the same he could have made all leaves the same, same shape, same color, but he didn't because he is eternally generous and beautiful and abundant and wonderful. And so all these leaves are just different shapes and different styles and they're beautiful. Thanks, Dan. And then there are these ones, again, different shapes, different colors, different beauty, in the hidden corners all over my garden. Then I've got these amazing rock orchids and those white bits are their roots and they don't actually need to be planted in dirt to grow. They actually can just be in the air. Isn't that amazing? When you think about plants you sort of think oh their roots need to be in the ground. Well not these rock orchids, they just hang about and they're Their roots can hang in the air and I've got a couple, I I couldn't get it in the one photo or i would show you all my washing on the line, I thought that would be very uncool. Um, But I've got a couple of those that are about to spike up and flower and they flower in these buds of amazing orange, like there's about 15 flower buds all over the end of them. And they're amazing, you just chuck them in your garden on rocks, on on the fence and they'll just grow, It's, it's incredible. The generosity of God in hidden corners. This isn't two ants. <laughs> Two ants on our bricks, uh, just doing their thing. Insignificant, tiny, hidden ants that many times I would consider annoying. But this morning I just managed to capture them. It was cool. Did my worm farm? Worms in hidden, dark places, turning food scraps into golden soil how beautiful are worms and how wonderful are worms the theatre of God in, in hidden places then there are these plants I don't know what they're called does anyone know what these are called I'm going to show my ignorance like so one side of these leaves is green and the underside is bright purple like how amazing is that like God could have just gone for green but he didn't he went for green and bright purple on the underside so if you're looking at them from the top you see green and if you're looking at them from the bottom you see purple like oh, that's just so incredible so amazing so abundant so beautiful then there's spiderwebs catching the light spiderwebs are like the tinsel of um of the world aren't they like they just wrap the world like tinsel so in the sunlight these spiderwebs just reflect like the silver threads of the glory of God. And then these are some of my flowers. My violets are coming up everywhere. Has anyone else got violets in the ground? And they're just amazing. And they're, they're small little flowers. I mean, they look kind of biggish there, but they're actually really quite small. And they smell amazing, but they're really subtle. And you have to get really close to them. To smell them. And on the left there are some jonkles. Which again are beautiful. And these just these flourishing flowers. These delicate kind of cream colours. But again the scent of these flowers is magnificent. And you have to get close to smell them. And then here's my mandarin tree. Which is obviously as you can see ripe with mandarins ready for picking and eating but I actually bought that mandarin tree as a reject tree about 13 years ago from um, leisure coast you know when you go to leisure coast at fairy meadow they sometimes have like sad trees out the front Um, like the ones that have been neglected and they just like you can have them well anyway this mandarin tree was five dollars and I remember thinking five bucks like if I kill it I'm not losing much and so I bought it and I just didn't have many high hopes but when we moved to our house about 10 years ago I planted in the ground and now it's just flourishing and there's mandarins every season just for me because the kids don't like them because they've got seeds in them because kids are soft these days and all all mandarins are bred with like to be seedless and so or or this is the other thing I have to actually sit there and cut open every segment to get the seeds out and then feed them to my. I mean it's annoying but anyway that's my mandarins and then on the right hand side there Is parsley, which I have had growing in the garden um, and still have growing in the garden, but this parsley is actually growing up through the pavers of our path, and so I call it pathly. Um, (laughs) And uh, it's all over the place, and it's just magnificent that that this one, you know, plant of parsley that I probably bought at Bunnings like three years ago, obviously went to seed and scattered its seeds all over my garden. And in the cracks in the path and now everywhere you, I'm just finding parsley just like popping up in all the strangest places. And I mean parsley is amazing and like making, you know, great pesto out of parsley is just incredible. And I can just go to my path and pick parsley and, you know, just enjoy the goodness and the abundance of God. But I went out in my garden to just say to God, God, show me your goodness in the hidden corner, show me the generosity of this world that I can find just in my own backyard. And so I just went out with my iPhone camera and, and an open heart and there's are some of the photos that I took. But here's the thing, all of that would still be there with all its beauty unfurling and all of its scent being carried on the warm wind of today. All the tiny action of the ants and the worms and everything else I couldn't capture on camera. The parsley and the mandarins just ripening in the sun. All of that would have still been going on whether I noticed it or not. Because that is the generosity of God. Because God is just constantly unfurling his beauty and working in this world and laying out his goodness for us to see whether we see it or not. God doesn't cease to be generous and outpouring if we don't notice it. He doesn't retract his beauty if we haven't been thankful. He, he doesn't decide, right, the sun's not going to rise tomorrow because not enough people said thank you for this gorgeous sunrise that I orchestrated in this beautiful world, so I'm just giving up. Like That is not what God is like. God is just eternally generous and endlessly beautiful in all the hidden corners of our world, whether we notice it or we don't notice it, the beauty of God just keeps unfurling. The whole earth is full of the glory of God in the seen and in the unseen. And I believe that there's probably beauty on this earth yet to be discovered that we haven't discovered yet as humans. Like we haven't got, I don't know, we haven't got microscopes Big enough? Or I don't know, strong enough? What are you powerful enough? We haven't got, you know, or we just have like there's deep sea creatures we haven't uncovered yet. There's plants growing on rainforest floors that we have like there is just beauty yet to be discovered in this world that God has in secret. And I reckon that when we discover it, he's gonna just be utterly delighted in the fact that we can enjoy how wonderful he is. He just loves to extravagantly give himself away. And it's all there for us to see. And I think the wonder of all of this is that the invitation as followers of Jesus is to participate in the nature and the character of God, to actually become more like God, to become more like Christ. That's our our path as followers of Jesus that we would um, be invited to participate in the unfurling of God's kingdom everywhere. That's amazing and that's incredible. And um, I think some of this, for me, sits a little bit behind the passage that we just read. And so I want us to read it again. Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. "'Otherwise you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. "'So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you "'as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, "'so that they may be honoured by men. "'Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. "'But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know "'what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret.' And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. When we kind of act like God in generous giving, in hidden places and in secret ways, we get to participate in the joy of doing such things with God because God is always being generous and pouring himself out in secret ways and in hidden corners. And so when we follow after god in that aspect we're just reflecting the image of god to this world and i think that's what jesus is inviting us into so if we have a just a brief look at this passage you know jesus says when you give not if you give which i think is interesting so jesus is just assuming that as people who practice their love for God, that these people are generous givers. And Jesus kind of took a lot of things a little bit further and a little bit deeper, but with the, with the, with the three things in this, this next passage that we're looking at, when you give, when you fast and when you pray, Jesus just assumes that we're going to keep on doing these things. And so I would imagine that as followers of Jesus, it should just be a given for us. That we are generous and that we are givers of ourselves, of our time, of our energy and of our money. Um, Jesus didn't come and upend the giving system in the Jewish religion. He, he, just, he endorses it. What he's critiquing in this passage is the motivation behind why people are giving. Not sort of saying, okay, you're off the hook, you don't have to give anymore. And so I think it's a challenge for us and I think, you know, the, the great confession for me is that I hate talking about money. Um, I, hate, I don't like talking about giving. It would be like the great weakness of my leadership. Um, I could never, I don't know, well, not I could never, but I just find it hard because I, like maybe some of you, have a little bit of PTSD from Pentecostal churches and their giving messages. Um, and I've... I've seen the church kind of like manipulate and coerce people to give. Um, I've seen the, pros- the idea of the prosperity gospel just flogged a little bit too much. And I think, you know, for any of us who've been in those systems, it can kind of feel a little bit hard to talk about money. So I actually do find it hard to talk about money. Um, not, not money like giving, but certainly money like tithing and giving it to the church. But it's, it's important. Because Jesus in this passage isn't saying, "Okay, yeah, you don't need to worry about doing that anymore." He's saying, "When you give, you should do it well." And so, here's a couple of things I want to say about money and our church. Um, many, many years—like we, we have—we've been on a journey as a church for many years to um, be faithful to God and to figure out what it looks like to be God's people. And at one stage in our journey, we actually owned a massive warehouse building in South Wollongong on Swan Street. It's now Definition Gym. Um, we, had a, a massive, we, we had a massive warehouse because that's what you did when you were the new charismatic church in town. Um, you bought a big warehouse building and you painted it mustard. It was awful, honestly. If you ever came, I, it was an awful colour. I think it was probably the paint was on sale at Bunnings. We did repaint it. Um, but anyway, as we were going on our journey to becoming, like in just seeking God and wanting to be missional, wanting to be faithful to God, one of the things we intentionally did as a group of people was we sold that building in 2009 because we believe that as part of our story, not this is not on every church, but part of our story as Central Church was that we didn't want to be putting a lot of money into a building, but we wanted to release a whole lot of money for missions. And so after a lot of prayer and a lot of strategizing and a lot of soul searching, we sold that building in order that we might be able to be a little bit more free financially in order to give more widely into other things. And since then, we've not owned a building. And I think if we were to ever own a building, it would probably take an act of God for God to say that to us because as a church, we've sort of made a decision that that's not for us how we want to live. And so that has also released a lot of creativity and abundance in how we've been able to give so much beyond ourselves over the years into missions. And one of those things that we give into is we have a a home in Myanmar that houses about 25 boys that are from the Wa people in Burma. Um, that have come and they get an education, they get discipleship and they get to meet Jesus. And then they're raised up and sent back out into their society to build up the country of Burma from the ground up with some just young men of integrity. We've had different people go over and visit our home, Matt and Oren. The boys are fabulous, but part of... Being able to focus and energise money towards some of those things was through the missional priorities of rearranging how we do things with our building. And so as a church, our heart, I suppose, is always that we would be as frugal as we can be with things here in order that we can be as generous as we can be with life out there. That's why there's no air conditioning in this building. That's why you might be hot in summer and cold in winter. That's why we've got rugs, not giant heaters. Because we could buy giant heaters and spend a lot of money heating the building for two hours a week. Or we could just say, you know what, as white Westerners, we can be uncomfortable for two hours a week and generous in lots of other places. So a lot of the kind of the philosophy of money in this church is energized by some of that. How can we be as generous as we can be out there? And be as frugal as we can be in how we operate as a family. So that we can be incredibly generous in the hidden and the secret places of this world. Many of those wah boys over in Burma will never know your name. They might not even know the name of our church. But we are blessing them as best we can be. And giving them potential to grow and to find out about Jesus. And I think that's a really good thing. So that's some of our sort of philosophy of giving. And if I could give you my, you know, cup 2 minute giving philosophy, this is what it is. Number 1, you should give. If you follow Jesus, your bank statement should be obvious that you do. Especially in a world driven by capitalism and consumerism and materialism, your bank statement should reflect that you follow Jesus and are subservient to a kingdom that is not of this world. So if you were to look down your bank statement and it wouldn't be obvious that you're a follower of Jesus, I think you've got some praying to do. So as followers of Jesus, I utterly believe we should give. Number two, I think the Bible says that 10% is not a bad starting point for giving. Jesus never seems to undermine the whole idea of a tithe, which was 10%. You can play around with that as much as you want, but I don't think you'd get much wiggle room out of Scripture if you're wanting to lower the bar. So 10% is a good place to start. Next thing, the church does need your money, but so do the poor. And in Scripture, whenever... The Jewish people and the early church were encouraged to tithe. It wasn't just for the church, it was for the poor. It was always in the Old Testament to make sure that the priesthood could operate and keep the worship of God happening within community, because that was essential, because the priests weren't given land. So they relied on the generosity of the people in order to be able to live. So that was part of the function of the community of God, that there would be a priesthood. But the tithe was also to go to the poor and those who were most in need. So this is what I want to say to you. When you think about your 10%, don't be a robot. Don't just dump it all in the church. You need to think about the poor. You need to think about those things that stir your heart, those needs in our world where people are needing like money and you should give with intelligence. You and Jesus should be sitting down and working out, how do I give, how do I be generous and where do I want to do it? But I do want to say, if you do come to Central and you do feel like, hey, I belong here, and this is a community that I get life from, and this is a well that I like to drink from, then I'll take some of your money, because we are like dependent on people's generosity to, to function as a community. And there are many things I would like to see us be able to do in the future, um, and some of that is just dependent on the money we have. And so feel free to throw it my way, But don't be robotic about it because that's not what Jesus wants from you. He wants you to be discerning and wise and to follow your heart and to be generous and to give into that which stirs you. And so as you are working out how you give, be generous and creative and give in many, many different places. And my other suggestion would be, when you're working out, how much will I give, work out what feels okay and add a little bit to be uncomfortable. Because that, I think, just takes our toes over the edge of faith into trusting God and being that little bit more generous than we're comfortable with. I think that's really good for us. Yeah? So that's my, like really small philosophy of giving. We should be generous. Our bank statements should show that we follow Jesus. The church needs your money, yes it does, but so do the poor, so figure it out for you. You've got things in your heart, I've got things in mine, and we work it out together. And if you want the church's bank account details, I'll get them to you. I think the whole goal of this and when Jesus is talking about giving he's really pushing back on the idea that we would look for applause for how generous generous we are rather than the joy of participating alongside the generosity of God. And so he has this funny statement where he says, "When you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues." And whenever I read that piece of scripture I kind of in my mind imagine something far more medieval than I do like first century Palestine you know when they had like the trumpets on the towers like do 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 you know like with the um they'd have the flag yeah the flag that, that's 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 the imagery that comes out in my mind when I read this because I just imagine that I don't know what these people were doing but maybe they were walking along the street and giving to the blind beggars and there was trumpets in front I don't know it's you know my imagination's a bit wild sometimes but this is what I actually learned about this thing in the temple there were 12 trumpet shaped giving containers where the people would go into the temple and give to the temple and so Jesus is actually poking a little bit of fun at you know the temple giving because so you know how I mean we have those velvet bags that are from probably from the 90s. You're all familiar with them. Because I think in the 80s, if you're in church in the 80s, they used to pass around the plate, you know. But a plate's really easy to take from. And I think someone, some design person figured that out. So then we've got the Velua velvet bag. So it's a little, you know, you put your money in, it goes into some kind of like dark velvet hole, a little bit harder to take money out of. But anyway, so in the temple it was a little bit like that. If you can imagine like a smaller end of a trumpet and you'd put your coins, because you didn't have notes back then so everything was coins, made a lot of noise when you gave. And you'd put your coins down into the narrow end of the trumpet-shaped thing and then it would go down into the wider trumpet thing. So as people are coming into the temple, if they were giving and they had a lot of coins... They could stand for a really long time at the the trumpet and make a lot of dinging, you know, dinging trumpet, you know, not trumpet noise, but like money clanging noise, like putting coins into a, a metal trumpet. So Jesus is kind of poking fun at the people who might, you know, only like save up their money all year for one giant offering. And take it in their bag to the temple and then spend half an hour clanging the temple thing so everyone thinks wow these people are really generous but actually they you know who knows if they are or they aren't but Jesus is basically saying if that's the way you give in order to get applause from people and for people to think you're generous then the applause is the reward that you get well done you everyone thinks you're wonderful that's your reward But then Jesus says, if you want to be like my Father in heaven, if you want to give like I would have you give as followers of God, then give in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing. Now, of course... We, Jesus would have known it was not possible for your left hand to do something that your right hand doesn't know. Like that's not possible. It's like again another idea that, that we would give in such a way that is mysterious and hidden and unknown And I think about this, this is really good for us. This is really good for us to think about participating in the theatre of God in the hidden corners. Like how do you go being generous in really hidden ways when no one knows it's you that did it? Because a lot of the time we kind of like to know, like people to know how generous we are. And here's how you know if you're struggling with that. You know that you're struggling with the whole thing if someone else gets a lot of glory for giving to something that you know you've given to, but you didn't get recognised and you feel a bit envious. That's when you know, oh, I might have a bit of a problem with this. Or if you think because you've given a certain amount of money to a charity or to a group that you should get a special say in what goes on and you don't get a say and you feel indignant about that you probably know that you're not giving generously in the right way. To give in secret ways, to give in hidden ways, to give in unknown places, this is the way of God. And so I've thought a lot about, you know, what does it mean to give in such a way that your left hand doesn't know what your right hand is doing? And I do think it just means... I don't think it means that you shouldn't give online where your name comes up to your bank account. I don't really think that's what... Jesus is going on about but I do think Jesus would encourage us to be people who give way beyond ourselves and to give in places and in ways that we actually are not going to reap any benefit or see any reward I think he would challenge and encourage us to give you know in places and in ways that just don't bring us benefit in the 1960s there was this little Methodist church that um, was in a real kind of like working class part of town and in this particular time they were actually seeing really rapid growth, lots of families and lots of um, young people coming into their congregation Um, but they were meeting in this really old and run down building and so the group of people who were gathered together in this Methodist church started to ask the question about what, you know, what God, what do you want us to do? It seems like we're really kind of growing here and our building is very old and run down and we don't think we can kind of like house what's going on, what you're doing. And so a group of them got together just to start to pray and to seek God about what the possibilities might be, what the future might be. But all of the, like this is back in the 1960s where most of them were working, just working class people Um, blue-collar workers, they weren't used to working with giant spreadsheets and, you know, like big investments. They just felt completely out of their depth in knowing how they were going to do this. And they were been praying and meeting together for for quite a long time. And then in this one particular meeting where they were really wrestling with what are we going to do, one of the members, they felt so overwhelmed with making a decision one of the members looked up on the wall and in this person's house that they were meeting there was one of those pictures and underneath the picture was the Bible verse great is your faithfulness that, that scripture from Lamentations and so this man who saw that said to the meeting where they were all discussing and feeling a bit anxious about what to do he said I actually, you know, great is the faithfulness of God I think we really need to trust God I think we really need to trust that God will be faithful to us. I think we really need to trust that if we make a decision and just make a little step of faith in order to do something about this growth that we've got, that God will be faithful to us. Even though we don't know what we're doing, we feel completely out of our depth. So they they just all felt to trust God and to be faithful. And so they prayed. And they made a commitment that out of their, their felt lack and out of their uncertainty about what they were doing they would trust in the faithfulness of God and they would move forward in trusting God to build a new building to house the growth that they are experiencing as a congregation and 18 months after that in in the 60s they opened their new church and their new church hall and that's this church and that church hall. Port Kembla. Methodist church in the 60s, struggling to figure out what do we do with what God is doing among us. We don't know what we're doing. We don't have enough money. We're going to trust in the faithfulness of God. And so they gave and they trusted and they built this. Before I was born, before they even imagined that I, any of us would be here, And still the praises of God are ringing in this building. And I don't think that that small group of people in that lounge room in 1960 had any idea what their generosity and their giving would house for generations to come. But it is housing us. And I'm so grateful to God for their generosity, for their trust, for their faith and for the fact that their left hand didn't know what their right hand was doing. Because their giving has paved the way for us to be here and those before us and those that come after us. That's what it's like to give in the hidden corners of the kingdom. That's what it's like to give and to trust that whatever it is that you give, whether it be into church or be into charity or be into other places of need, that God will take it and will multiply it far beyond you. That he can take whatever you give In insignificance and hiddenness and make amazing things come out of it. Not just for you or for those in this lifetime but for those beyond us. And that kind of giving excites me. That kind of idea of participating in the kingdom of generosity, participating alongside God in just being generous in hidden ways that kind of stirs my heart that I would just be a part of the ongoing generosity and thriving of the kingdom long before, long after I would even know what's going on. That's the kind of people Jesus is encouraging us to be. To be. So just in finishing, I want you to close your eyes and I'm going to just let God speak to you. and i want to leave you today with two challenges the first challenge i want to i want to give you is that this week you might be intentional about seeing the generosity of god in the hidden corners maybe you need to go out into your backyard with time and prayer to let God reveal His generosity to you. Maybe you need to take the time to get up early enough to see the sunrise, or just rearrange your evening so that you can watch the sunset. But the main thing that should stir our hearts and inspire us to be people who are generous is not because we should, but it's because God is so abundantly, amazingly generous. And so when we are just enjoying the beauty and the wonder and the holiness and the generosity of God in all the things that we could easily overlook it helps our hearts grow large with the dream of participating alongside God in generosity. So I want to challenge you this week to enjoy the generosity of God that's all around you in hidden places. And the second thing I want to challenge you to do this week is to intentionally do something secret that's generous, something that you don't normally do. I'm asking you to do this because it's good for us to do unusual things sometimes because it can just kickstart new stuff in our lives. And so as you're sitting there with your eyes closed, this is what I want you to ask God. I want you to ask God if there's someone in your world who needs something, And I want you to ask God what he wants you to be generous towards that person or that group with. Jesus, you showed us what God was like. Eternal generosity. Jesus, you just gave of yourself in every moment. You didn't hoard stuff up. You just freely released it. You gave blessing, you gave healing, you gave friendship. You gave of what you had and you released it out into God's kingdom. And we want to be like you, Jesus. But man, we need your help sometimes to let go of money, to let go of ourselves, to let go of our possessions. And so Holy Spirit, we just ask for your help. We ask for your help that you would continue to make us generous and self-giving like our God. And we trust you, Jesus, with all that we give. We trust that you are going to multiply it. We trust that you are going to spread it further than we can imagine. And we trust that it's going to bear fruit in our lives and in the lives of people we might never meet. And so we say expand, God, everything that we give and multiply it in your kingdom that we might just be so amazing participants in your secret hiddenness in all throughout this world, God. We just want to belong with you. We want to do this with you, God. We want to experience the joy of giving beyond ourselves. And so help us, Holy Spirit. And we say, Holy Spirit, that if you have spoken to us tonight and given us someone or something to be generous towards, we say we're going to be obedient and do that this week, God. We thank you for your goodness and your abundance and your generosity towards us, that you are never stingy nor mean, but you are eternally self-giving. And we bless you, God. Amen. Well, go and be generous and secret and hidden. Go and participate with God in all small things. Amen. Wonderful. Have a really good week. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. If you want to check out more about Central, visit us at centralchurch.org.au. Music by Chris D'Souza, a beloved member of Central.